Welcome to Odd Drummer Gaming, the podcast about stuff. My name is Edmund. In this episode, I will be talking about Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And I will get to that by the end of this episode. Um, in my notes, it says here, I want to talk about Just Watch. Not a sponsor of the show, believe it or not. I go to Just Watch almost every seven seconds just to see what streaming services, if any, a movie is streaming on, especially when I'm listening to We'll See You in Hell or Pat's Solo Movie Corner. Every time they mention any movie, I look it up on Just Watch. So they have an app on the iOS, I'm assuming on Android as well. But I tend to only speak to people who can afford an iPhone. I don't really talk to Android users. Um, so check out Just Watch. They also have a website if you want to go that route or route. But um, Just Watch. In terms of the gaming beat, I'm going to try to be quick about this, but knowing me, it'll probably be super long. But I've been playing Breath of the Wild. Uh, Germs Bro. Uh, my friend since high school, he and I talk games sometimes, and we're big fans of Breath of the Wild, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And for me, I bought it many, many years ago on the Wii U. I purchased a Wii U, I think, for $125 cash. And um, I went to them through, like, Offer Up or Let Go, and... I think they were nervous when I came around, as you would be through any sort of offer up or let go exchange, because you don't really know what's going to, you don't know who you're going to meet. So they were selling their Wii U for 125 This story is already super long. Anyway, I get there and it was a, a man, a young man and a woman living in like the back of a house. And they, they have, they had to switch. So they, they were probably like, you know, the Wii U is the past, the Switch is the future. So we're getting rid of the Wii U. So I bought it for 125 And I went I went I went in hard on Breath of the Wild. What I mean by that is like I I played it for hours and hours. Um I would get home from work at like six and play until like two AM and then be super tired at work, and then I would daydream at work about when I would be able to play Breath of the Wild again, and then I would get home at 6 and play until 2 a.m. And I did that for maybe a few months. I really loved the game. And then I researched, like, Amiibo and Amiibo cards, and I got a set on Wish. Um, Not sure how legal that is, but... um, I mean, who who can afford Amiibo? If you're lucky, you can get a f- one for thirteen bucks. Uh, so thirteen times whatever twenty four is a ridiculous amount of money. Or you can get the whole set on Wish for like maybe twenty. Anyway, I I really love the game. The issue I have with the game the biggest issue i have with the game is replayability because the one of the 
biggest factors of that game, like one of the biggest um, attractive things about that game is, you know, courage and fear. And I was, I, I was, cause I get scared by Zelda games. So you can imagine I can't play Resident Evil or um, Last of Us. I can't play. So I get scared by Zelda games. So this game, like the first time I jumped off the Great Plateau, was terrifying. The first time I confronted a guardian was terrifying. Um, it reminds me of a, a YouTube comment I, I got to. I was looking up this the music for the guardian, the guardian theme. And one of the top comments was like, oh, this is warp music. And I thought that was very funny. Uh, not funny enough for me to uh, credit the person who commented that or reply to it, but I thought it was funny. And, but once, once you learn the trick of like how to defeat a guardian and it's just that fear and that sense of adventure for me, at least it, it fades away after a while. And there's no experience like the first one for me for that game. So the replayability factor is kind of low for me on that one. So for me, like I would rather play replay like Super Mario Odyssey or Pikmin 3 Deluxe. And I, I play StarCraft a lot. Um, I play it so much, I don't even consider it when I think about the games I'm playing it. I play it like on my days off, I play it almost just, it's just like part of my day. It's just like a relaxing thing that I do. Anyway, Breath of the Wild, I've been replaying it lately and I've been really liking it. It's I still think it's a really great, really beautiful game and it's still really fun. It's just hard to compare to that first playthrough. But that's Edmund's gaming beat Breath of the Wild. That's an original title for a segment, is it not? In terms of Edmund's movie beat, because I'm a drummer, see? Um, I'm going to try... I, I feel like I want to rush through this, because I, I, I want to talk about Doctor Strange too. But let's, let's take our time, let's relax, and talk about movies first movie I watched was Inherent Vice. I wa It came out in 2014. I watched it on Canopy. I will say I, I actually kind of liked it. I kind of liked Inherent Vice. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson is a filmmaker who I can respect and acknowledge that he is very competent and a very good director but his movies don't really speak to me they they speak to a part of me that doesn't really exist i don't really get his movies um all of his movies like the most accessible movie to me of his was probably boogie nights but even like there will be blood like i liked it but i I I barely remember it. Like maybe I want I I'd be willing willing to rewatch. Um, the one with Adam Sandler. 
Punch Drunk Love. I, I kind of liked it. It's just weird. I, I feel like they're too smart for me or something. I, I don't really get his movies, but Boogie Nights was the most entertaining for me. Inherent Vice, I, I had to look up a few times if it was a comedy. And I looked up on Wikipedia and the, it's, the description says it's like a period neo-noir crime mystery film. But it's according to Wikipedia, it's not considered a comedy. So I don't really understand that because there were moments in the movie where I was cracking my balls off. Um, the, the first scene with Josh Brolin and he's like put, he's inserting his finger into his other hand. He's like, were they F-U-C-K-I-N-G-ing? And then Joker was like, was it, were they fucking-ing? And, <laughs> and I showed my wife the scene, the next scene where they're in the car and, Josh Brolin Thanos is licking like he's eating that chocolate popsicle like very provocatively or chocolate banana or whatever it is and Joker is just looking at him and I imagine they had a lot of bloopers for that scene but I don't know but I showed that scene out of context to my wife and she was cracking up and then there's just weird random scenes where um, Joker is talking to that lady and then this hot girl comes in, slams the tray on the table and then sticks her ass in Joker's face. There were there were a lot of moments in that movie where I was cracking up. I probably couldn't tell you what the plot was or recall the plot. A lot of the character names were weird. Like The weirdest one, and oddly enough it's the one I remember, is Japonica. Um, needless to say, like, I, I kind of liked it. Um, would I rewatch it? Maybe just, just, or maybe I would just, maybe there's a comedic scene compilation on YouTube or something, but I kind of liked it. I didn't really like the master either. I thought it was kind of boring, but there you go. The next movie I watched was The Serpent and the Rainbow came out in 1988. I watched it on Shudder. I watched it because um, it there's a new episode on Cursed Films. So I watched The Serpent and the Rainbow. As a movie, it was fine. I don't think it was a, a game changer or anything like that. I believe it was a Wes Craven film. And there's some cool practical effects in it. And the the scene where the like this creepy skeletal bride walks up to a Bill Pullman and he removes her veil and then she pulls her mouth down and then a snake comes out of it. It all looks very real and practical and creepy the scene where he's lying in a coffin and the coffin fills with blood there's some cool scenes in it um as far as like the plot and story i kind of forgettable i guess 
and this kind of goes hand in hand with the Cursed Films episode. I've been really liking Cursed Films. I know a few episodes ago I was kind of saying I I didn't like aspects of it because it's there's a lot of fluff, but I think I was talking mostly about that Wizard of Oz episode. I just didn't really understand why Adam Savage or whatever his name was was talking about his Mythbusters episode. Um but it's the one show that I think of like oh it's Thursday that means there's a new cursed films episodes out and I don't do that with any show right now so it, it's kind of cool to look forward to and see what what new movie they're going to be talking about next um and in the serpent and the rainbow episode I'm glad that Bill Pullman makes an appearance for that episode. It's kind of a bummer because the the author wrote The Serpent and the Rainbow trying to, like, I don't know if debunk's the right word, but he's trying to set the record straight in terms of the Haitian people and voodoo and kind of like what what Jaws did with sharks and how everyone hates sharks because of the movie Jaws. So over time, there were so many movies about um, Haitian people and black magic and voodoo or, or what have you. And he tried to write this book to reverse all that. And then they, they make this movie that it kind of does what he's, he was trying to reverse and the movie is named after his book. So it was kind of unfortunate. And and then in, in turn, he became associated with a horror movie. And he before this movie, he had no association with horror movies. So kind of sucks, but what are you going to do? But Serpent and the Rainbow, worth watching, I'd say yes for the cool um effects and the practical effects or what looked like very good practical effects and there was a story on the cursed films episode about how they try they hired like thousands of extras like 2000 3000 extras and i guess they were paying some people more than others like three dollars instead of two or whatever and back then in that country that was a lot of money especially compared to what they were earning at that point for um i don't know farming or whatever they were doing and they got angry and they started throwing rocks at the filmmakers and they essentially had to leave and run and jump on a an airplane and get out of there and they didn't go back to Haiti to finish the film they finished it somewhere else which kind of sucks, but there you have it. I started my adventure, my Mia Farrow adventure, I guess you could say, with a midnight, a midsummer night sex comedy. So, in in recent, in the recent past, in the recent present, I have purchased 
three separate Woody Allen movie sets. The first one I purchased, I'm looking at right now. It says the Woody Allen Collection. Um, it doesn't say... Actually, this is the second set I bought. It doesn't say like one, two, or three or anything like that. Let me see. Um, so the first one I bought contains A, Mid A Midsummer Night's Sex Comedy, Zelig, Broadway, Danny Rose, Hannah and Her Sisters, The Purple Rose of Cairo, and Radio Days. And then a few days after that, I bought a second Woody Allen Collection DVD set. I'm looking at it right now. It contains September, Another Woman, Crimes and Misdemeanors, Alice, Shadows and Fog. And I believe between those two sets, I have almost all of the Woody Allen movies starring Mia Farrow. Um, I think there's one anthology movie called New York Stories starring Mia Farrow, but in his movie, in his short portion or whatever. But that wasn't part of the sets that I could find. And then I ordered a third um, movie DVD set. It has Annie Hall, Manhattan, Sleeper, Bananas, Interiors, Stardust Memories, Love and Death, Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Sex But Were Afraid to Ask. That seems like a lot of movies. I don't know if that's contained. Um, I'll, I haven't received that one yet. And... I I talked about Woody Allen in the Allen vs. V. Farrow episode. So, uh, again, the whole situation is frustrating for, um, for everyone, for anyone, and it sucks. Um, and I don't know who to believe. I don't, I'm, I'm not going to get into that because I already talked about it, but uh, I don't, uh, we don't have to get into it. My, my, I, I, my point is, I don't really have a point, but I bought these three sets, but I did buy all three of them used. And full disclosure, if I had the money, I would have probably bought them new just because I preferred to buy things new. But I'm looking at this one with Annie Hall. It's currently going for $123 new on Amazon. And then the other ones might go for like $90 new. But I bought them for like $20, $25 each on eBay or Amazon used. So technically, I'm not supporting Woody Allen. I'm just purchasing them from people who don't want it or whatever, what have you. So I don't know. Does my conscience feel better that I did it that way? Maybe a little bit. I have been talking too much about the used DVD sets that I purchased. But I watched A Midnight... Oh, that's the third time I did it. A Midsummer Night Sex Comedy. 1982. Watched it on DVD. I really liked it. Um, the movie started. And I... I wasn't sure if I wanted to watch this with my wife because the movie starts and that old guy 
Jose Ferrer. He starts talking and his English is very like dense and hard to understand. And if my my wife was born and raised in Philippines, so English is her second language. So I felt like if I had a hard time understanding what was being said, maybe she would also. But she has proved time and time again that she has understood things that go way over my head. And it's stuff that's in plain English. But anyway, um, I thought the movie was very funny. Um, Every time that Mary Steenburgen would mount Woody Allen in that comedic scene, I thought that was funny. One thing from the doc, one thing I thought was weird was from the documentary, The one of the most egregious things I, I remember was the one girl said that Woody Allen has been grooming us in all of his movies to accept an older man with a younger woman, blah, blah, blah. And I thought that was dumb. I thought that writer, directors, filmmakers should be able to write, create the characters, the stories that they want to create, because that's that is art. Um, but I will say, at at the beginning of the movie, Mary Steenburgen was having an issue with their sex life, and it was played as if she it was her fault, like she was the problem, like for what whatever the issue was, they don't go into it too specifically, but whether it was a performance issue or a sex drive issue, but she can't perform and it's kind of played as if it's her fault. And I was like, well, that's, that's kind of a weird element. And it made me think of that documentary, like, well, maybe, maybe she has a point that he's grooming us to think that, that it's women's fault, that, that there's an issue in the bedroom, blah, blah, blah. But that, that didn't bother me by the end of the movie because that the payoff for that was very funny and it's played for laughs and um it's i guess you would call it farcical a farce um all the different partners come together and all of them are kind of lusting after other people's partners it's very funny if you have not seen it i liked it a lot and Mia Farrow was nominated for a Razzie for, I guess, Worst Actress or Worst Supporting Actress. It's the only Woody Allen movie that's been nominated for a Razzie. And, I mean, to go along with my theme with Ann Archer and Mia Farrow, who I thought were hot back then, I will say, in this movie you have a young Mia Farrow a young Mary Stees, as Joe DeRosa and Pat Walsh would say. And a young, beautiful woman who, her name is Julie Haggerty. And I never knew her name. I never matched the name with the face. But I knew her as the airplane lady, as the lady from Airplane. And I've seen her in a few other things, but I never knew her name was Julie Haggerty. And I've heard Joe DeRosa um, discuss her name when talking about, I think, Modern Romance with Albert Brooks, which I have not seen. 
and and finally through this movie i could match her name with the face and vice versa but you have three who are now older women but i mean 1982 they're like in their i want to say like late 20s maybe 30s and julie haggerty i think is younger is the youngest one out of the three and they're they were hot i don't know what else to say but i found the movie to be very entertaining next movie whenever i talk to myself at work i i i talk to myself at work a lot and i'm always relaxed and i feel like i can be funny at work and then when i get on here and i'm listening to myself on the headphones i get all nervous for some reason i'm gonna take the headphones off which is probably a bad idea because I won't be able to monitor how I sound, but I can see the waveforms on Audacity, aka Audacity. So we'll see how this goes. It'll probably go just like all the rest of the episodes, terribly. Um, oh, I also tried to watch Zelig, which is next in line. I could not get into Zelig. So I did not officially put it on my Excel list. It's not Opish. It's Opish? Joe Opiscopo? It's not officially part of this movie beat as part of this episode because I did not watch it, but I could not get into Zelig because I watched Midsummer Night's Sex Comedy. I liked it a lot, and it there's like complex characters, complex storylines going on. It's a very well-made movie. And then there's like this right, I don't know, however, whatever the right phrase is, a right turn or a sharp turn in in the other direction. Zelig is a mockumentary, and it just didn't click for me. Um, it apparently has a 100% Rotten Tomatoes rating, and people liked it at the time. I think maybe at the time this mockumentary idea was pr- probably very novel, very new, very funny, very unique. But at this point, I've be- I've been officed out, Parks and Rec'd out. I could not do me- um, Modern Family because I just saw too much of that style. I like The Office, I like Parks and Rec, but by the time modern family came out i didn't want to watch it so i didn't so i can see how zelig's format would be very novel very unique for its time but i couldn't get into it i got pretty far in but i was like i'm really not enjoying this maybe i'll give it some space and try again at a later time but right now i cannot do zelig unfortunately sorry by the way, before I forget, I actually recorded and completed the episode for Superman 4, and it was scheduled to believe, to be released on Monday, but Doc Strange is the next big movie, so I'm going to release Doc Strange 2 out first, and then Superman 4 after that. 
so it's going to go a little bit out of order. Not that anyone is listening and supporting me in my personal endeavors, but whatevs. The next movie I watched was Mother's Day. I watched this as part of Joe Bob Briggs's um, last drive-in show on Shudder. The movie came out in 1980. As far as the movie goes, uh, it's fine. It's not anything that I... Uh, it's not. It's not really my thing. It's a rape-revenge movie, except the kind of twist in this is the, the, there's these two guys, and they're, and they're kind of backwoods, backwater doofuses, and they, I guess, kidnap people slash young women in the woods, and they quote-unquote play with them for their mom's entertainment, and the mom is like this kind of twisted lady. And by quote-unquote play, I mean they rape and beat the women for the mother's entertainment. It's disturbing. It's, I mean, the movie, the type of movie is not really my thing. I also watched Gator Bait. But I enjoyed Joe Bob Briggs's commentary, and I enjoyed seeing and hearing Eli Roth Um he was brought in via satellite or whatever and hearing him talk about the movie and he really loves the movie was interesting and enjoyable but as far as mother's day as a movie it's for me it's, it's not really my thing um the last tv episode i guess you would say as for this Edmund's movie beat. Very original title for a segment. Um, I watched Our Great National Parks, Episode 1, A World of Wonder. Came out in 2022 on Netflix. It's hosted by one Barack Obama. And, you know, Barack Barack. President, former President Obama, he he kind of tells an endearing story at the beginning how his mom, when she was pregnant, would sit on the beach and just kind of listen to the sound of the waves. And she would joke around with him and saying, I think that's why you're so calm, because I, I would sit here and enjoy, and enjoy the national parks while you were still in my uterus or whatever phrase she said and i like that aspect of it i like that you know barack obama did his thing as president and now he's trying to use his power slash in influence to spread the word about um, the great national parks and how we need to do what we can to preserve and to make sure that they survive for our kids and their kids and beyond. The, the only, I mean, I like it as far as document nature documentaries goes. It's good. It's fine. I like nature documentaries. He's just, 
he he's a he's a politician he's a good speaker but he's you know he's not exactly a, a nature documentary uh narrator and i i keep forgetting the name of is it david attenborough or richard attenborough it's david attenborough so Barack Obama is not David Attenborough. So <laughs> when Barack Obama is saying stuff like we need we need to do what we can to preserve the national parks for our children and our children's children and for the future generations to come. When he says that stuff it's it's fine and it's great. <laughs> but when he's trying to be all cutesy he can't but help but feel a little awkward so he'll be like the hippo goes down to the beach and he goes straight for the surf or he'll be like this monkey hitches a ride on the seek a deer he realizes that no meal is free it's it's just a little awkward um i think that's inevitable but you know he's He's doing what he can and what he wants to spread the word about our national parks, which is great. So it's not really his fault. It's not anyone's fault. He's doing his best, and it's fine. That's all I have for the movie Beat. I wonder if other podcasters have this issue where... I'm sure everyone has this issue where in their brain, in their mind, they sound eloquent they sound good, they sound fine, they sound funny. And when they turn on that mic, they sound like a stupid-ass fucking dipshit. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to fix it. I'm not speaking. I took off the headphones, so I still feel awkward as fuck. Um, <clears throat> I, guess, I guess it can't be helped. This is, according to my list, this is episode 25. You'd think the quality or the way I speak or anything would improve, but I still sound like a fucking dipshit. Let's get to the main event. So tonight, I watched Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I thought it was and the multiverse of madness, but it is in the multiverse of madness. I watched it with my wife. She, we have seen, I think we have seen all of the Marvel movies. Um, I believe that's true. I'm, I'm not sure. It, it doesn't matter who the fuck cares. So, we watched it at 4 p.m. today. I will say, when I, w when I was in the theater tonight, for, for whatever reason, I felt super aware of everyone around me. So, like, the movie would start, I would hear people behind me opening their straws with the little... I would see every time someone would look at their phone... They don't even have to click open their phone. 
if they look at their phone in a dark theater, I they're checking the time or something. Why are you checking? If the movie starts at 4 o'clock, why are you checking your phone at 4.19? Dumbass bitch. I don't understand it. There are people walking in well after the movie has started. There's people making noise. There's people talking. There's people watching videos on their phones. I don't get it. I didn't really notice this last movie when we watched The Batman. I didn't think about any of this. But for whatever reason, I was super attuned to it this time around. Anyway, Doctor Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness was directed by Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi, um, he is well known for the Evil Dead series. And I know him best from his... Uh, I don't know if it's fair to say his, but from the, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man trilogy... That first Spider-Man in 2002 hit me in a way that few movies have. I I really loved that first Spider-Man. I re I when the last time I watched Spider-Man two, I was surprised with how slow it felt. Still an enjoyable movie, and Doc Ock, Alfred Molina is a great villain. But it, there was, I noticed the slow parts a lot. Then Spider-Man 3, I, I liked it more than most people. Um, it had some weird parts. The emo Spider-Man, emo Peter Parker with the weird hair. There's a lot of weirdness in Spider-Man 3. But I, I kind of like the ending when they teamed up. Blah, blah, blah. I didn't see Drag Me to Hell. I didn't see Oz in The Great and Powerful. And he didn't direct between Oz, The Great and Powerful, directed or released in 2013. I'm assume, I assumed he was in director jail. I didn't see it, so I can't comment on it. But he didn't direct until 2022, which is nine years later. Which is interesting um, I've seen Evil Dead 1 and 2. I like them fine, but I'm not a huge horror fan, so they didn't make that much of an um, impression on me, but I, I kind of want to rewatch them. I've never seen Army of Darkness. Um, I haven't seen A Simple Plan, which Pat always sings its praises. But so I loved him mostly for the Spider-Man trilogy. It the Doc, Doc Strange Two, which is much easier to say, was written by Michael Waldron, who I have never heard of, and I was furious to see that he was born. Um, he's younger than me, which. I'm not an ins- I'm not an aspiring screenwriter or filmmaker. It's just annoying when you see someone talented and more su- successful than you. It's just it's downright madness.
So he was an assistant writer on Community. This is so. This is something that I'm always curious about. I'm looking at his Wikipedia. He's born in '87, 35, young kid. Um, this is what I don't get. He was an assistant writer on Community. He was an executive producer of something called Good Game, which I've never heard of. He was a writer and producer on Rick and Morty. According to this, it's like one episode. Maybe it's more. I'm kind of confused by the Wikipedia. And then somehow he gets to be a writer and producer, executive producer on Loki. He is the writer and producer of something called Heels, which I I thought it was about high heels or women, because that's what immediately what I think of. But apparently it's about uh, wrestling. And then he is the sole writer created uh, credited on Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I don't know how you do it. Um, I don't know how that happens. So he was uh, he won a primetime Emmy Award for Rick and Morty. So he, he did more than one episode on Rick and Morty. Anyway, my point really doesn't matter because I, th- I think he did an excellent job in this movie. I really love the movie. Um, spoiler alert. Oh, by the way, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler alert. So if you're listening to this, and you have not seen Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Turn this off now, probably, because um, I don't want to spoil anything for you. Okay? Okay? So stop it now. I, I really I don't want to spoil anything. Okay? So did... Oh, no one's here. No one's listening. I guess that spoiler alert didn't matter. Um, so before I get, well, I've already started, so it doesn't matter, but I want to say this first. I, I make YouTube videos, so I am on the site, um, a lot. So I was on the site, I think, um, either May 3rd or May 4th, I was on YouTube. And I saw a title... A, t- a thumbnail and a title for Doc Strange 2. Spoiler alert. Please leave now. Spoiler alert. The title said, Wanda Kills Mr. Fantastic. And the title was kind of shocking to me because I had no idea about this. But I watched this video on May 3rd or May 4th. The movie is supposedly scheduled to be released on May 6th. It says May 2nd release, Dolby Theater, and then May 6th, United States, which doesn't really make sense because I watched it today on May 5th. Happy Cinco de Mayo, by the way, if you celebrate it. And if you don't, Happy Cinco de Mayo. So anyway, this title said... 
Wanda kills Mr. Fantastic. Again, I can't emphasize this enough. This video, I saw this thumbnail video. I don't even know when it was posted, but I saw this video on the 3rd or 4th before the movie was even released. And then, so I didn't click on the video, but I I hovered over it. And you can see the video play if you hover over it. <coughs> so the footage was like fuzzy, kind of not clear footage. So I guess someone took a, a video of it on their phone or whatever. And I, but I could see it clearly that it was Jim Halpert. And then I could see the scene play out, and then I could see a character with their, like they had no mouth. So I didn't understand what was happening in the scene, but I could kind of get the gist of the scene. So anyway, I look up Wikipedia, I look up John Krasinski's Wikipedia, I look at his filmography, and he is not listed in the Multiverse of Madness. And then this morning, I, f I forget what happened. I forget what compelled me to do this. But I looked up John Krasinski's Wikipedia again. I looked up his filmography. And he was indeed now listed in the new Doc Strange movie. So, I, yes, I am absolutely to blame because I hovered over it. Um, my eyes wandered over to these outrageous thumbnails and titles and I looked it up on Wikipedia, but whoever that person was like, fuck you, literally, why do you need to post that? Are you, are you that desperate for clicks, for views that you're going to spoil a movie before it's even released? Why put the title Wanda kills Mr. Fantastic? where it's it was very upsetting am i to blame yes did i need to look up on wikipedia no but why why do it it's it's don't do it go back in time and take it back you bitch anyway i was surprised to see that it says Doc Strange director and co-writer Scott Derrickson had plans for a sequel by October 2016. He signed on to return as director in December 2018. But Derrickson stepped down as director in January 2020, citing creative differences. That's something that I don't understand. Um... Because he stepped down as director, citing creative differences. So maybe he wanted to take it in his own direction and they didn't want to. But the thing that I don't understand is that this Marvel movie is the first movie in a very long time that feels very unique and very individualistic. It feels like a Sam Raimi movie. And at this point, a lot of these Marvel movies, they feel like Marvel movies. They don't feel individual or unique at all. They feel like they come out of a factory. 
And I don't necessarily mean that in a good or a bad way. I just mean that factually, they all feel very similar. But this is the first movie in a very long time that feels unique. It feels like a Sam Raimi movie. And I think that's a very good thing, a very great thing. Um, I really love the movie. Um, I'm not going to say anything groundbreaking or anything like that, but this is probably the first Marvel movie that can be categorized as a horror movie. Um, Maybe some people would call blasphemy on that. I'm not a huge horror movie, but this has a lot more horror element elements in it than the other superhero movies other marvel movies that's for sure i think they wanted to categorize the new mutants as a horror movie but we don't need to talk about that movie um i liked it a lot i mean the movie right away like the movie opens with an action sequence uh technically well it's a dream and it's not a dream well, technically, it's not a dream, but Earth 616, I think it's referred to. The Doc Strange of Earth 616 experiences it as a dream. But it's a full on action sequence between America Chavez and a different Doc Strange with a ponytail running in the gateway in between dimensions or whatever from a demon. And the opening is awesome, and then it turns out to be our Doctor Strange's um, dream. And then he goes to Christine's wedding the next day, and there's some sweet moments, but then right away it gets into the action. There's this weird giant-eyed octopus character, creature, monster going after America Chavez. And Doc Strange has to save her from it. And the movie doesn't doesn't really let up. And it says here on the Wikipedia, the film generally received generally positive reviews from critics who praised Raimi's direction, the cinematography, visual effects, musical score, action sequences, emotional weight, and performances of the cast, largely towards Cumberbatch, Olsen, and Gomez. However, the screenplay and pacing received some criticism. I mean, I don't even agree with that end part. The screenplay, I thought, was fantastic. And pacing received some criticism. I had no problem with the pacing. Um, I, I just really like the movie a lot. Let's talk about... The quote-unquote Illuminati scene. Alright, so... The the first trailer that I saw, it teased a a, a character um, moving... I don't even know the right way to say it. Rolling? That sounds offensive. Rolling drifting, moving in a wheelchair. Gosh, that sounds dumb. 
And the after the first teaser, I thought it was Professor X because it's like a second long, and they even they sh- you can hear some of his voice saying he needs to know the truth or whatever. And then eventually, in the later trailers, they show a, a man moving in a wheelchair in a yellow wheelchair. So I'm like. Okay, this is probably definitely Professor X. And as soon as I thought that, I thought, you know, I ho- I hope that Marvel movies don't resort to these gimmicky crossover cameo moves because I feel it worked well enough in No Way Home. Although I have I have I bought the steelbook edition of No Way Home and I'm afraid to rewatch it again because I'm afraid to rewatch the Batman as well because it's on HBO Max cuz I don't want to rewatch either of these and like them less because in my mind in the memory of my mind I like them a lot but anyway I I just started to think I hope that Marvel just doesn't continue to resort to these gimmicky things and you know they reveal first of all when um gosh what's that guy's name from evil dead bruce campbell when bruce campbell shows up no no one in the theater really cheered or acknowledged him. I think one person laughed a little bit. So I'm like, oh, there's the Evil Dead fan. And then we get to this Illuminati scene. They reveal Dr. Reed Richards. And people got pretty excited. Like, my theater was not packed. It was not full. But there were plenty of people in the theater. There was some lady behind us who squeed, I'll say squeed, when they revealed Jim Halpert to be Dr. Reed Richards. Some people gasped. Um, There was like a slight clapter. Like that was the biggest reaction in the whole movie. Or maybe, maybe it was when Charles, when Professor X came out. I will say they played the x-men cartoon series theme when professor x came out i'm not sure how i feel about that it felt a little weird it felt a little shoehorned i know they're trying to play homage to the character but it felt a little weird i almost would have felt better if they played some music from the original x-men movie but I'm assuming more people remember the X-Men TV series theme rather than, I think it was John Ottman's score for X-Men. But anyway, that scene, I might need some time to process it, but as I think about it, it does feel a little weird. Maybe that's what people are referring to when they criticize the pacing Because in the middle of this movie, they have these characters who are reprising their roles from other movies. And 
on the one hand, it's cool, but on the other hand, it feels kind of gimmicky. So you have Captain Peggy Carter. And this is a, a different um, a different universe. So it, it would make sense that it would be different versions of the character. So instead of Captain America, you have Captain Peggy Carter. You have Black Bolt, who was apparently from the Inhumans, which I don't think God even watched. Uh, God was like, Inhumans? Oh, I forgot about that property. Um, I don't know anyone who watched Inhumans. I don't know if it's available to watch. Captain Maria Rambo as um, Captain Marvel, Doctor Reed Richards, and Professor X. I, I again, I might need some space, some time to process that scene. I thought it was cool. I thought it was fine. I, <laughs> um, I, I gotta say, I was talking about this to my wife earlier today but Dr. Reed Richards Reed Richards as a scientist as an inventor as Mr. Fantastic he is um, he's an interesting character but as a superhero there's no other way to say it his powers are dumb his powers are silly. He can stretch his body so, so the fuck what? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I mean, the scene was kind of cool when they're talking with each other to Doc Strange, right? And then when they go to face Scarlet Witch, <laughs> when they go to face Scarlet Witch, you know, they kind of line up. And then Jim Halpert stretches his body into the scene. And I couldn't help but laugh. And th there is no way around it. His powers are, are silly. And you have this elite, elitist of the elitist crew, um, Illuminati, going against the the multiverse's most powerful witch. And I guess the point of that scene is that Reed Richards tries to reason with her because that's really his superpower. It's his brilliance and his reason. But of course it doesn't work because it's a woman scorned, a mother scorned, whatever. So he tells her... Um, you know, one whisper from Black Bolt, Black Bolt's mouth, and you'll die. <laughs> this is the scene that got spoiled for me, by the way. And she goes, mouth? What mouth? <laughs> and Black Bolt is like, he reaches for his mouth, and he's like, mur, mur, mur. and then he goes, <laughs> and he... He black bolts his brain the fuck off, you know. Um, it's not supposed to be funny. It's not funny, but it's funny. 
and then in response <laughs> in response jim halpert can do the only thing he knows how to do which is reach out his arm <laughs> and then the good olsen fucking swats his flappy arm or whatever away <laughs> he he dies in I told my wife he dies in two seconds, and my wife was like, uh, not even one second. And I believe she tapped my shoulder at that moment and exclaimed to me, what a loser. Perdóname. So, it was interesting, like... Again, I I need to process that scene because I'm not sure. I I did laugh, and I think in in the future I will think it's funny. But Black Bolt dies immediately. Captain Mister Fantastic dies immediately. Haley Atwell, who's very beautiful, um, gives a gives a good fight against Wanda, but she ends up like shielding her body the fucking half and then captain marvel puts up an even better fight she's super super powerful but in the end elizabeth olsen the good olsen crushes her body and she is still not she is a professor pardon me professor x is not a match for the power of the Scarlet Witch. Which you would think, you know, the most powerful telepath in the universe would be a match for the Scarlet Witch. But no. And, you know, that scene was kind of cool when he goes into her mind, he walks into her mind, opens the door, and he finds her in some hole. And I, I kind of thought that it was a bait and switch and she was like, please help me. And then Professor X was like, Wanda, you're, you are being held hostage by your alternate self. Maybe if I can reach in and grab you, I can save you. And I thought she was going to pull him in. And then she would escape and then he would be like trapped in his mind or something. But no, I think she was actually Wanda, the small part that's left inside Wanda, who's like sane and healthy. And even she is afraid of the Scarlet Witch because the Scarlet Witch has taken over. And the Scarlet Witch um, red smokes into the mind space. And then basically cracks Professor X's neck. That scene was pretty cool. Um, I don't, I don't know what else to say. But I did like, I did like the movie a lot. Um, I took my wife to CPK after the movie. That stands for California Pizza Kitchen. For all you non-Californians and I asked her what did you like better Doc Strange 2 or Shazam that was a joke question because 
we both hated Shazam. But then I asked her, what do you like better, Doc Strange 2 or the Batman? And she was very quickly, Doc Strange 2. Then I asked her, what did you like better, Doc Strange 2 or No Way Home? And then she had to think a little bit. And then she turned the question back to me. And I'm like, you know, there's this thing called recency bias where the most recent thing you experienced is more, you see more favorably than things that are further back. I, If I had to answer that, I think I would answer Doc Strange 2 over No Way Home. But again, that's recency bias. But this movie has really, it just felt so stylistically different than other Marvel films. It it was surprising because it, I'm surprised that Kevin Feige and the machine and the fact the Marvel factory allowed Sam Raimi to make this movie and insert himself so much of himself into the movie that he did. And I can't think of any or other than maybe like the first Iron Man with directed by John Favreau that felt very unique and that it's still hard to top that as my favorite Marvel movie, that first Iron Man movie. But other than that, I can't I can't name any of the other directors. Well, technically I could. You know, Kenneth Branagh did um, the first Thor. Um, I'm not sure if he did the second one. Taika Waititi did Thor Ragnarok. Um, Chloe Zhao did The Eternals, which I liked, but I didn't think it was great. But most of the other, even if I can name them, they still feel so much a part of that big Marvel machine slash factory. And this didn't. It felt like a Sam Raimi film, and it was awesome. And Michael Waldron, like, again, I don't know how you were able to land this soul writing credit of this huge movie, but I really liked the script. I loved the writing, and I loved what Sam Raimi did to the script. And the visuals and the style, it was just amazing. I... I highly recommend anyone and everyone to watch the movie. Um, I want to go back and watch Sam Raimi's entire catalog, including the Evil Deads. Um, I, I kind of want to watch the um, the Oz, the Great and Powerful, just because it is a movie that exists and because even though it was hated, I, I just want to see it just for my own sake to say that I've seen it. And um, this movie, it's like, it's almost like not only a Doctor Strange movie, it's a sequel to Doctor Strange. But it's also very much a sequel to WandaVision. And I liked WandaVision, but... Again, I'm not I didn't watch Modern Family. I didn't want to watch Modern Family and as soon as they got to the 
sitcom style of Modern Family. I like stopped. Wa- I, no, I didn't stop watching WandaVision, but my enthusiasm kind of waned at that point. But I liked WandaVision overall. My wife and I are a big fan of Elizabeth Olsen, so she brings a lot to the table. Cumberbatch brings a lot to the table. I really liked the girl who, according to Wikipedia, her name is pronounced Sochi Gomez. I Sochi, I apologize if that's wrong, but I really liked her. She almost gets no introduction. And some people might have qualms with that. I honestly didn't care. And I usually like a good origin story. I prefer a good origin story. But this movie opens with her literally running in the gateway between dimensions or universes with another Doc Strange. And I didn't care. I was in for the ride. Like She she gets almost no introduction and I, I loved it. This for me was definitely in the upper echelon of Marvel movies. Uh, it'd be hard for me to rank. Um, I mean, there's got to be like 30 movies at this point, and then plus all the TV shows. So I don't know where it ranks, but it's it's in the higher tier of Marvel movies. Um, it's interesting because. For the Batman, I really love the Batman, and I was I was saying like I love the Batman because it felt so real and gritty and and tonally it was so dark and serious, and I loved how atmospheric it was, as atmospheric it was, and there wasn't a joke in the whole thing. And then we come back to this Marvel factory. And I probably love this even more than the Batman. And again, if I had to choose, I would probably like this more than No Way Home. Even though I love Spider, the character of Spider-Man much, much more than I like the character of Doc Strange. But this, like everyone involved with it, I, I love that this far in, like Iron Man came out in 2008... So we're like 14, almost 15 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And no, I feel like at this point, no one is phoning it in. They're like, the the story is solid. The direction is solid. The performances are solid. They are still doing their best to make great projects, make great movies. And they're... You know, it would be easy to to just say, like, people will go see our movies no matter what we put up, no matter what we put out. So let's just put out, let's cut, let's cut into the budget, let's cut down on the budget, let's put in a bunch of non-actors, let's just put low effort into it, and who cares? And they're going to show up no matter what. But no, I think, 14 15 years in they're still this is one of the best marvel movies again it could be recency bias talking but there you have it i really loved it um before i cut out i will say i i am glad that i did my 
I don't know if retrospective is the right word, but um, I don't even know what retrospective means, but I'm glad I did four episodes of Superman 1 through 4. Four, again, has not yet released yet. But I'm glad I went through the four of those and I kind of witnessed the quote-unquote birth of the modern superhero movie because I feel like um, whether they want to admit it or not, they people who make superhero movies have to give some credit, some respect, some admiration to the 1978 Superman movie. They have to give credit to Christopher Reeve. They have to give credit to Richard Donner. Um, Because as great as these modern movies are, it does feel a little cheating. It feels a little too easy that no matter what you can you imagine you can do it through computers you can make anything happen at any time in any place through the use of computers and back in 1978 you could simply not do that and they were in punk rock ways trying to figure out how to make a man fly on the big screen and they had to experiment and they had to do trial and error, and it was punk rock. It really was. And, and now, this movie is super amazing. But I, I mean, I almost wish that every movie would be like every superhero movie, whether it's Marvel or DC. I wish they would say like special thanks to Richard Donner and Christopher Reeve or whatever, because I feel like no matter what superhero movie it is after 1978, they have to at least admit that that was the basis for everything that came after it. That's, that's, I think I've said enough. I'm almost at an hour and 15. I hope you enjoyed my mundane voice and my stuttering. I still don't know how people can... I don't know how adults live and survive in the world these days. We are working to survive. We are not working to thrive. I don't know how adults live out their lives and survive and are happy. I don't know how they do it. I am constantly depressed. I am constantly in debt. And I buy more things because I'm depressed and there ne- never seems to be an end to it. I don't know how people do it. I don't know how you could bring a child into this world and just not look at your baby and be like, kid, you're doomed. Are you kidding? I've been doomed since I was born. You don't think you're doomed? You're more doomed than me because I know I'm doomed. And now I'm bringing you into this doomed world. Um... Anyway, if you like Final Fantasy VII videos, or if you like Final Fantasy VII Remake, check out youtube.com slash odddrummergaming. 
I'm about to fall asleep. If you like drums and video games, please check out youtube.com slash drumj8. Does my voice sound very exciting during the plugs? I should have drank a fucking Red Bull. By the way, I've been listening to Pat's Movie Corner. When he first started doing it, I remember thinking, I don't like this as much as the main pod. There's something missing. Obviously, the thing that's missing is Joe. Because it's not as fun when you have one person speaking rather than the two who can bounce off of each other. But in the past week or so, I've been listening to all of the Pat's Movie Corners, and I've been enjoying them thoroughly. My favorite episode of Pat's Movie Solo so far is when he was making fun of Jeff Foxworthy. I was rolling, but he was like, Have you ever gone to sit down and take a shit and then shout out an armadillo? You might be a redneck. (laughs) He's a funny man. I think I'm the first one to say it. Check out We'll See You in Hell. It's a much better podcast than this one. And this podcast is a blatant, blatant ripoff of Pat's movie Solo Connery. Not only that, it's it's this podcast is the same as Pat's movie Solo Connery, except this podcast is not funny. It's my voice is mundane, uh, monotone. I'm much dumber, a lot less funny. And this podcast has a lot more misogynistic and racist undertones. Thanks for listening. Stay odd and keep on playing.